If you have a Bible, uh, you are encouraged to turn uh, to Mark chapter 5. Let's pray once once again before we read uh, scripture. Uh, Lord God, we thank you that you uh, moved Mark to bear uh, uh, in his words not only the witness of Peter to uh, the acts of Jesus Christ, but also to receive the ministry of the Spirit, so that with his personality and with the research he made, we have this gospel. Thank you that it is your word to us, and we ask that you might grant that our hearts would be receptive and able to receive the seed of this word, and that it would bear fruit in our lives. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, would you stand, please, for uh, the reading of God's word? Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirit came out and entered uh, the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see uh, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one uh, who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. That's the end of the reading of God's word. Please take your seats. Well, October is the month that 
each year where grade B movies are featured. And these uh, films, which often are called Halloween uh, films, usually have very predictable plots, uh, shallow characters who uh, make continuously terrible choices that lead uh, to unsought encounters. And uh, some of these films are certainly uh, tongue-in-cheek and others are intended to raise uh, fear and maybe sometimes it's just a mixture of both. The text we've just read is the longest uh, graphic story in uh, Mark's Gospel apart uh, from the crucifixion. And in it, there are a number of unsought encounters with Jesus. Now, the thing about grade B movies is that there may be in them kind of a grudging recognition of the existence of something that's hard to well describe, a kind of uh, evil. And while it seems laughable to many that there exists a supernatural evil outside of people, maybe that's actually part of the attraction of these horror films, is that such evil actually exists, and it's an evil that we cannot control and is bent on our destruction. The gospel assumes there is uh, such supernatural evil. It doesn't explain it so much as it shows us Jesus confronting it and why what happens when Jesus does this leads Mark to confess that Jesus is the God-man. Let's enter the story. It's early morning. Uh, The sky is glowing uh, when Jesus and his disciples land the boat on shore. Now, they've been through a terrifying uh, night in a storm. Uh, They uh, feared they would drown. They awoke Jesus, and he calms the storm with a word. And instead of relief, they're actually more afraid. And they just simply don't have any categories uh, to describe what they've just experienced. They had adrenaline course through them in the midst of the storm, and then they even had a bigger rush. Uh, when Jesus calmed the storm. And I mention this so you realize that these men, well, their nerves are shot. They are exhausted when they arrive on this shore. And Jesus doesn't help because he orders them uh, to put in an, an unfamiliar place, a foreign place, a place as Jewish men they would have never uh, visited. It's the region of the Gerasenes. It's on the outskirt of one of ten cities known as the Decapolis. And they were cities that showcased pagan Hellenistic culture. And so they're almost exclusively uh, populated by Gentiles. Uh, In other words, this is an unclean place. Um, uh, It's ritually impure, filled with impure uh, people. They land near the tombs, which for a Jew is just utterly radioactive as far as uncleanness is concerned. And the man who runs toward them uh, has unclean evil spirits living in him. And they're surrounded by people who are engaged in unclean occupation uh, of raising pigs. And so the disciples are not only exhausted, but they actually have a visceral reaction uh, to where they are. And I just imagine that they had, well, a lot of reluctance about getting out of the boat and following Jesus. Uh, 
running toward them is a man who was naked, his hair is matted, he smells the way people do who haven't had baths in years, his home uh, was among the dead, he was strong, in fact too strong to be bound uh, by change, though people uh, had many times sought to restrain him. Uh, perhaps some of the mantles were still on some of his limbs. Uh, day and night, the spirits tormented him. Uh, he is totally uh, removed uh, from his family and his friends. And he's self-destructive. He's cut himself many times with stones, and we can imagine that there are scars and uh, scabs as well as fresh uh, wounds on his body. We well, would say he's mad. But it's beyond that. He's lost his dignity, his sanity, and his humanity. He was a terror to himself and others because of his violence. And the man's description is actually more fitting of a ferocious beast than of a man. And the word bind, actually, that Mark uses here is used, of binding animals. Now, Jesus has come here seeking this man. Jesus is pursuing this man. He's undeterred by his uncleanness. Jesus isn't concerned that he's going to be contaminated, nor is he put off by the wildness of the man. Now, I can't help but wonder just how the disciples are taking all this in. Mark doesn't tell us, but, you know, maybe they felt the way uh, I have around some broken people, like the kind of people I've met on the streets of Philadelphia or in Midtown Atlanta, that I might have described as dangerous, that were too far gone uh, to be helped. Uh, So uh, they were just so unlike me that I was so utterly uncomfortable in their presence. In fact, most of what I was thinking and feeling that moment was is that I should find a way to leave as quickly as possible. And I don't want to think about the possibility that actually Jesus might be calling me to join uh, him in pursuing them. That may be how they were feeling at that moment. Jesus not only pursues this man, uh, by intentionally coming to the side of the Sea of Galilee, but he delivers him. And the disciples watch the redemptive power of Christ come out and deliver this man from these evil spirits. Now the man comes running. He's uh, coming to attack Jesus. And one, uh, one uh, scholar comments, we're supposed to see that the demonic powers are intent on keeping Jesus from entering uh, this territory. The demonic nature of the storm at sea that nearly uh, capsizes the boat, and now a demon-possessed man who's strong enough to break irons hurls himself at Jesus. But contrary to all expectation, instead of falling on Jesus, he falls to his knees. Then there's a power struggle. It's one that's expressed in words. It's kind of like a mixed martial arts contest, but instead of roundhouse kicks, it's words. And the demons seek to gain mastery over Jesus by calling him the son of the most high God. And that name emphasizes uh, the transcendent, exalted nature of Israel's God over pagan gods and goddesses. And what the 
demon is saying is this, that you have a unique position to this God, uh, Jesus, to the almighty, uh, universal, uh, enthroned God. And ironically, really, when you think about it, the demons are concerned about Jesus torturing them, uh, they who have been torturing this man. And Jesus commands the evil spirit to reveal his name, and the name that's revealed is Legion. Now, many of you I know uh, know a lot about uh, Roman civilization, and but those of you who don't know, uh, there were at a full strength the legion had six thousand uh, men, and so here what it means is there were many many demons uh, in this man, and this really rounds out the picture: a man who is possessed by an army of demons has come to block Jesus' entrance uh, into their uh, territory. But of course, it's no contest. Jesus expels these evil spirits. He grants their request uh, that they enter a large herd of pigs nearby. There's no elaborate ritual, no incantation, uh, no magic formula. Jesus has it within himself uh, to expel uh, these uh, demons. He has the power to prevail over them. His word alone is enough. The demons enter the pig. Uh, They rush uh, down a steep bank and are drowned in the sea. And this anticipates uh, what will happen ultimately uh, to them because at the end of human history, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. Now we see in this uh, encounter, the intention of supernatural evil uh, is to dehumanize us. The Bible insists not only in the existence of the supernatural evil, but also that there is an epic war against humanity. Think Lord of the Rings, or maybe The Matrix. It is a global, high-stakes, invisible war that's poorly understood. But it can be seen in part uh, by its effects. Now, if you're skeptical, then let me ask you to just explain the phenomena that we see around us. Suicide uh, bombing, for instance. What grips young men and women... Uh, to give up their lives for a mass casualty event, or the monthly, maybe even weekly, mass shootings that we hear about, or the vast international sex trade, or the enslavement of millions of uh, children, or the prolific spread of dehumanizing uh, pornography or global wars and genocides uh, that are wars conducted against civilian populations. And just daily, there are things that are so awful that I cannot mention them uh, here. Just hard to imagine cruelty that's carried out by individuals. Could it be that William uh, Faulkner's phrase in his novel, Absalom, Absalom, The sickness at the heart of all things is manifested. It's a manifestation of this invisible spiritual evil that's seeking to destroy the image of God in people. Well, those who know Jesus Christ and who take the Bible seriously uh, and recognize there is supernatural evil don't need to live in fear. But still, we need to take up the weapons of this war. Most especially, we need to put on uh, the armor of God, 
which is a way of describing uh, the gospel in all its many facets, and especially to engage in prayer. Now, last week, if you were here and you uh, looked at the insert, you saw that the insert made this comment about uh, a church searching for a new pastor. The evil one hates churches, and he wants to derail the search for a new pastor. Why is that? Well, a new uh, pastor is an agent of the kingdom of God that's opposed to his kingdom, who's going to uh, faithfully minister the word, and people uh, will come to know Christ through that uh, ministry, and he's going to lose influence. And so he's going to seek uh, to undermine this process. And uh, I'm so glad that Tom has taken the responsibility to call us and remind us of just how important prayer is for us as a church. And this is one of the most important ways right now that you participate in this work. And you, you may need to shift out of the mindset that prayer is just a waste of time, that you're doing nothing. No, you're wrestling with the principalities and powers as you pray. And that's essential uh, for these men and women who are serving uh, you on this committee. Mark continues the story, and this is for many, at least Western people, the most troubling thing is what happens to the pigs. The herdsmen uh, uh, report widely what's taken place, and people come to see it for themselves. And Mark writes, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Jesus has restored the man. Jesus has restored this man. He wants to be with Jesus. His isolation from people has ended. He's got his dignity. He's in his clothes uh, once again instead of being naked. And he's regained his sanity. He's no longer being controlled uh, by the demons. They're no longer speaking uh, through him. The violence and the self-destructive tendencies are over. And the townspeople are afraid. They're afraid of Jesus. They're more afraid of Jesus than this man. It's the same way the disciples were more afraid of the storm than of Jesus calming the storm. They beg Jesus to leave. Jesus has calmed a second storm, the storm in the evil, uh, of evil in this man, and they beg him to leave. Well, why? Well, I think there's probably two things. Let me get at one of them with a story from uh, the life of Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, um, Newton had uh, worked for hours on his scientific inquiries to understand the very core of the physical universe uh, and exhausted uh, there laboring by candlelight Uh, sat his dog at his side. And on one occasion when Newton uh, got up in the evening and left his table, uh, the dog got up quickly to follow him and he he hit the leg of the table and the candle fell over. And these precious manuscripts that had these extraordinary uh, thoughts about uh, the world were destroyed. Um, When Newton came back, 
you know, he, he looked at what was left. He tried to gain some things, and he just broke down uh, and uh, wept. And he put his hand on his dog, and he said, you will never, never know what you've done. Now, perhaps the dog sensed uh, the distress uh, of Newton, but he couldn't have understood, really, what kind of tragedy had taken place. And I think this might be our problem as well. I know it's hard for us to see the tragedy of the loss of the image of God in us. In my own life, I know I didn't perceive this. I didn't even understand the harm I was doing. I just didn't have the capacity to see uh, what my choices uh, were doing, uh, not only to other people, but even to myself until God opened my eyes. Oh, yes, I was aware of my misery, but I really didn't have the capacity to even appreciate the misery of others, much less to discern that I needed the image of God restored in me. Have you seen your need for Jesus, to restore your sanity, to bring you out of your isolation, to regain the dignity that belongs to you as someone made in his image. The other reason that they want Jesus uh, to leave, well, it it might be the economic loss they've just incurred. 2,000 pigs is a lot of pigs at at that time. and uh, they, they simply value pigs more than this man's life. You see, they, they probably really don't value this man. They had him kind of contained as far as they were uh, concerned. And, you know, we might have this problem too. Uh, our concern for what it might cost us might keep us from seeking the healing, showing compassion, sharing the gospel with other people. Um, Calvin Stowe isn't nearly as well known as his internationally famous uh, wife, Harriet Beecher Stowe. She was the author of the the very famous book that uh, denounced slavery, Uncle Tom's Cabin. When she toured England, he came along. He was actually a professor of biblical studies, um, and he preached before a very large uh, crowd gathered to observe anti-slavery day. And he told the listeners in no uncertain terms they were hypocrites. He said, you know, you're very proud that England has ended slavery, but 80% of the cotton that's produced in America, you buy. And if you would just boycott that cotton, slavery would come to an end in the United uh, States. And he said, this is a quote, are you willing to sacrifice one penny of your profits to do away with slavery? And they booed. You see, they didn't see the humanity of these uh, people. They weren't willing in Christian England to pay a price, to end suffering, and to do what they could to restore the humanity of these people. 
the narrative closes with the man begging that he might leave with Jesus and accompany him across the lake. And the phrase to be with him is the same phrase uh, that Mark has told us uh, that Jesus used to describe discipleship. That's when Jesus called the 12, he called them to be with him. And that's what this man wants. He wants to join the 12 disciples. And Jesus says, no. Instead, Jesus has something better for him in mind. He commissions him. He sends him back to his neighbors. It's with these words he commissions him. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he obeys and he becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. Army Corporal Jacob Deshares had been raised in a Christian home, but he had never responded to the gospel. In April of 1942, uh, he joined uh, the Doolittle Raid aboard one of the B-25 bombers. Now, uh, it was five months after uh, the attack by the Japanese in Pearl Harbor, and uh, much of the American Navy had been destroyed, and the country was eager in the midst of the really terrible news at that time. There was almost nothing positive to hear either about Europe or uh, in the Pacific theater. And so um, the military leadership of the country envisioned a raid that involved launching these bombers off of an aircraft carrier. We didn't have an airfield nearby that we could use. And these bombers didn't have the capacity to return to the carrier. And so this was a one-way mission. And when they uh, completed the the bombing run, uh, they were to continue across the ocean uh, to Japanese-held China. Um, As they did this, it was night, and uh, Jacob looked out into the inky darkness, as all these airmen did, and wondered whether they were jumping uh, to their death. If they weren't, they knew they were jumping to captivity. Um, And uh, they did land. He landed in a Chinese graveyard. Uh, He broke several of his ribs, and within just a few hours, uh, the Japanese had captured him, and they brought him to prison to interrogate him. Uh, The official in charge told him at sunrise that uh, he would be executed. Um, It would be a horrific uh, form of execution. He spent the entire night sleepless, uh, imagining what his execution would be like. But the official had lied. Uh, When they took the blindfold off of him, uh, there was a flash of a camera, and then he and the other prisoners were sent uh, to Japan for uh, several months uh, for uh, interrogation by torture. And then they were returned once again to the mainland of China. Uh, The conditions were awful. The cell uh, was incredibly cold in the winter and unbearably hot. In the summer, a disease ran rampant uh, through the prison, and the guards were cruel. Um, it came about in the year 1944 that a Bible uh, was given to the prison, maybe more than one, I don't know, but one was circulated, and Jacob was given three weeks to read it. 
Now, he'd never been interested in the Bible before, but he read it from Genesis to Revelation in those three weeks. And it all began to make sense to him. The message of the gospel never meant anything to him before, but now it was the only thing that made sense in his uh, world. Um, It wasn't uh, long after that that um, a a sadistic guard slammed uh, one of the, the door to his cell on his foot and then stomped on it. And, and, and uh, Jacob uh, could only think about his throbbing uh, foot, which he cradled for some time, but then he remembered the words of Jesus, that he was to love his enemies and pray for those who persecuted him. And the next day, Jacob greeted the guard uh, warmly uh, in Japanese and asked about his family. Day after day, like that, Jacob showed kindness, and eventually the guard's heart softened uh, toward him, bringing him some extra food. On August 6, 1945, uh, Jacob woke at 7 a.m., sensing uh, from the Lord that he should pray for the end of the war. And then about two that afternoon, he had a profound sense of peace uh, that the matter was settled. A few days uh, later, he'd learned about the dropping of the atomic uh, bomb. In the course of his imprisonment, Jacob developed a compassion, a deep compassion and concern for the Japanese people. And uh, after he was released and he returned home, he felt a call to go to Japan. And he and his wife did uh, for 30 years from 1948 they ministered there. They planted churches, and uh, they saw many people come to Christ. In fact, one of the people that came to Christ, their ministry, was famous. Uh, He uh, was the flight commander who had led the attack on Pearl Harbor, and this man uh, had uh, became later an evangelist in Japan. You see, Jacob had seen what the Lord had done for him and the mercy that God had shown him. And everyone who receives the greatness of the gift of salvation from Christ and receives his mercy, they too, uh, all of us, are summoned, we're commissioned by Christ to go and tell our friends, tell those that God has placed in our lives sovereignly about what he has done for us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the uh, amazing uh, story that we read here. It's it's beyond our experience at one level. We've never encountered a man like this. And like the disciples, we uh, often probably are uh, afraid of people who are so different than us, who are so unlike us who we might perceive as uh, hopeless, perhaps even dangerous. And we ask, Lord, that you might grant that we'd be willing to follow you with compassion and love toward those people you've placed in our lives, even those that we might not think of. For we pray, pray this in Christ's name. Amen.